0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 113 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. Uh, feels like it's been a few weeks since I recorded. I had a bunch stacked up. And I mean, anybody listening knows that I'm always amped up uh, for discussions with my guests. I never wanna say like, oh, I'm extra excited for this person because it makes everybody else feel like they're not special. But I am really genuinely excited about talking with Dr. Dwayne Jackson, who, well, we've been, uh, I'll start here. Uh, so you've got some serious education in your background, right? And I mean, I'm just going to get the, the surface level stuff. I mean, a PhD in neuromuscular physiology, uh, with and you were a tenured professor with of biomedical, sorry, medical biophysics. I'm reading shit off here. I wrote down because I didn't want to screw this up. <laughs> At Western University, there's a whole bunch more. Uh, and you were doing award-winning research there, uh, but now you've kind of moved over into the fitness industry. Uh, you're focused on education here, primarily with Prescript and uh, Team HD, that's Dorian Hamilton stuff. And this this is kind of cool too. So you're part of both Jordan Shallow's team and you're close friends with my pal Don Saladino. We're both speaking at Kabuki Education Week coming up, which we're going to shout out. That's like when we release this, I think it's like the start of that week and we're both speaking in las vegas at the real coaches summit in march 6th and 7th and we both were just published in a muscle and fitness special edition uh that for the olympia so like we've just been like crisscrossed really closely uh so it was really cool timing to actually have you on so thank you
1: thank you yeah no, it's a small industry isn't it uh we think it's large but it really isn't it's uh is there's just you know a couple handfuls of key players or a few hundred key players and then you just keep on crossing paths as you uh, kind of meander through this journey.
0: Well I can I can say Don is a really key player you know he's a he's a great guy one of my favorite people he was on recently anybody listening go back and listen to that episode. And uh you know again we were talking off air it's like you know when Don has someone that he highly recommends cuz he's raving about you to me when we were in Vegas together and I'm like okay cool he's like yeah I got to get you to meet my guy Dwight right so that that was the well, feelings
1: mutual because Andrew he didn't stop raving about you either uh, the whole time every time I talked to him so he, he he's a he's a great connector of great people so I'm I'm I really appreciate uh, the connection absolutely
0: cool well we're now connecting all of my listeners with you so they can dive into more of your stuff so let's let's plumb the depths of that obviously your a lot of your education is around nutrition so I kind of open it up and I'll let you go where you want with this but we know that you know nutrition in the fitness industry, this is a tribal ideological battleground a lot of the time. And we know that people get kind of carried away with, you know, the the exciting and promising research. So, you know, what's sort of exciting for you? What actually has promise? And it seems to be sort of a solid research back on the cutting edge of stuff. And then maybe on the flip side of it, are there things that we're hearing about that, you know, that kind of the coaches grab onto, because maybe the talking heads are going on about it and it's really more hype and marketing than it is substance.
1: Yeah, so um in, t- in terms of uh in terms of uh what's exciting, um I think people are starting to at least start to understand that nutrition um involves a lot more than the macronutrients. And that's something that I I've, I've been pushing for decades. Um so uh, rate right, rate right currently though the problem is a lot of the in contrast to this uh, a lot of the influencers, if you will, uh, gravitate toward these, you know, fad diets, for lack of a better term, which tend to focus on individual macronutrients and actually completely, uh, you know, have disregard for micronutrition. So, you know, and we can can name a couple of these, you know, we got, we have our, you know, carnivore diets that, uh, you know, work very well for people with gut health issues because, They can't uh, ferment those fibers that are really good for our guts and brain, right? So I
0: I like to explain that carnivore diet is really hypoallergenic. So anybody who has almost like any sort of goofy intolerance, they feel better. And therefore they think, okay, they falsely equate this. Well, this is obviously better for me and for everyone. There's clearly no consequences whatsoever of doing this long term.
1: Yeah, it's funny too, Andrew. Because what's neat about that—that that concept of, um, because I removed everything from my diet except for you know the, these these meats and whatnot, uh, I feel better. That should be the first indicator that you need to repair your gut health. And where the problem comes in with these, uh, uh relatively high protein, high fat diets that don't have, um, any sort of, I call them buffering agents, like you know high quality polyunsaturated fats, uh, high quality fibers. When we take those out those are the things we tend to become sensitive to so for example the FODMAPs so everybody's on these you know low low fermentable carbohydrate diets because they make their tummies feel better but that doesn't mean that the FODMAP foods are bad in fact FODMAP foods are the ones that feed our microbiota and make them diverse and very very uh robust so so when we when we engage in these really uh uh um extreme elimination diets of course you're going to feel better like you said we got rid of the 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 foods that cause people most sensitivities but really that should be the indicator that no these foods actually aren't poison we have lots of data that show that you know f- fibers and fruits and vegetables aren't poisonous um but in fact i can't digest them and that's kind of where you know i've been really standing on my platform and a lot of my work that i do now for athletes is literally you know, unscrewing their gut health from high protein, low micronutrient diets.
0: And, you know, so what do you think about the, the the push, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago towards the, if it fits your macros mentality, which I've always (laughs) thought, you know, it's a bit of a straw man where people demonize it because that of course creates this false dichotomy between quote, clean eating. And if it fits your macros because I really don't think anybody is trying to put as many pepperoni sticks and Pop-Tarts together as possible to make up the optimal macronutrient intake and just say, fuck the the quality of the food. But do you think that there's something within that flexible dieting, if it fits your macros sort of ethos, that what's valuable and then there are any any flaws in it?
1: Yeah, so um, it's funny because really at the end of the day, when we think from a physics perspective, uh, what fits your macros should work out quite well. And, and and they do. But where the problem comes in a lot of times is the coaching of those people who you're teaching how to, you know, have these flexible macro-focused uh, diets on what foods to choose. Because humans tend to be generally, uh, you know, a little lazy. And, uh, you know, the, we, our default is lazy. Um, so preparing uh, foods becomes a difficulty for a lot of people just because they decide not to. Then they start doing the old grab, you know yourself. Uh, and let's just use McDonald's for an example. Grab yourself an egg McMuffin for breakfast. Now, if you look at that from a macro perspective, it's probably not too bad. But where the problem comes in in a lot of these, um, I guess, uh, high, uh, very, very uh, easy foods to acquire, if you will. Um, the problem with them is they're very, very macro dense, but they're very, very low in micronutrition, and we know this quite well. And that's why we see in obesity. These people that have an overabundance of caloric intake, but they have a very, very low micronutrient intake, and this this uh, exacerbates any issues with metabolic problems and this kind of stuff.
0: That actually makes a lot of sense. Um, let's there's a lot of stuff here that we can play with. Let's go back into the gut health stuff. So, I mean, gut health. Um, one one of my favorite resources on gut health is uh, Dr. Gabrielle Fundaro. She's been on the podcast before. And, and Gabby's pretty clear on saying like a lot of the stuff that gets claimed out there is probably a little more speculative and we really don't necessarily know a lot. And I know that the the science is advancing. So what are the things that we're hearing, you know, obviously through social media that tends to be a little overblown that we're not comfortable saying for sure yet, this is a thing. What's emerging? What do you feel more confident about? And honestly, how can people approach both learning more about gut health, but also improving their gut health and the gut health of their clients?
1: Yeah. So, um, so generally the kind of, uh, the misconception is that, you know, uh, depression and all these issues are caused by poor gut health. We do know um, when we look at biopsychosocial models of, of, um, health in general and nutrition, that there are a number of different elements that kind of feed into the issues that we have with gut health. A lot of it has to do with How you picked your parents and how you were born and whether you were breastfed or not a lot of it also has to do with did you grow up you know especially in the us this is an issue but did you grow up in kind of the inner city or did you grow up in the country um also it depends on where you live in the world so um uh the the actual idea of gut health being the be all end all for solving you know depressive problems and these kind of things not necessarily because we do know people that grow up in low income houses, uh, you know, who, who uh, were born maybe of cesarean uh, of birth and were not breastfed are going to be set up poorly for uh, gut health down the road. We do know that, but we actually don't know um, whether or not that outcome means this person is going to have these you know, depressive issues or any of this stuff because because like I said, it's a biopsychosocial thing that the food is a very, very personalized um, thing. Nutrition is personalized.
0: And this is an anecdote, but I mean, I can think about me personally, I grew up in rural Newfoundland, you know, we were out playing in dirt constantly, grew up with dogs at a young age, I didn't grow up on a farm per se, but you know, there was other animals around. Uh, my grandfather was a, a fisherman and a, and a trapper. So we we got wild caught game and fish and birds. Uh, my mom and dad just by virtue, it's not like they'd studied, you know, the nutritional science of the modern day but it was a lot of home-cooked meals. You know, I think we ended up with a little bit of bologna back in the day. I don't touch this stuff now, Newfie Steak. Uh, We'll see if Shallow thinks about that. he was pretty young when he moved away, but he'd know. And so when I hear these things, I look at it and I go, all right, well, I actually seem to check all these good boxes growing up in this environment. And I rarely, if anything, have any sort of like, Gut health issues or intolerances to anything, I can eat virtually anything I want, right? Bananas for some reason, reason give me a bit of heartburn, so I tend to avoid those. That's literally the only thing that I don't mess with. And otherwise, you know, gluten is not a problem, dairy's not a problem. I, I just got into the habit of drinking milk a long time ago because the only thing I was having it with was cereal, and I love my Lucky Charms for that. For that fuss about that graphic with Rogan, and I mean, there's extremes on both ends. I think there's some middle ground on that one. I'm not even going to get hell. You know what? You can say what you want about that, that whole like steak versus Lucky Charms thing. But, but I just, it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, this is a really great treat, but I actually would rather allocate my like calories elsewhere. So I just got out of the habit. And otherwise, I'm wasting milk in the fridge. So I just stopped having it. Um, you know what? Tell you what, let's do that whole thing. Let's, let's do the whole, that graphic that Rogan shared about this. I do not even know what it was. I think it was an American governmental thing. There was some misinformation about it, what it actually was. The graphic was the, 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 the study was actually, I I guess, some sort of criticism of this thing. And it's not meant to compare food groups. So of course, Rogan shares this graphic that I mean, even I liked it, but I mean, I don't go too deep in these things, because I know they're always polarized. And then then there's the counter reaction that's calling out the misinformation of Rogan's post. And then I I saw that and there's friends of mine, I think really smart people, I look at them, I'm like, well, I think you guys are missing the point here, too. And to me, it seemed like there's a middle ground. And I think there's an obvious flaw with sort of trend with what we're hearing now this push away from um hell meat i mean again people like to to freak out about bill gates and you know the price of eggs and there's this egg farm that just burned down and it feeds into the conspiracy theorist side of stuff but all this push for all these like plant-based meats and what have you i don't know like have fun with that like the graphic and anything along those lines
1: yeah so so okay so first off um i'm gonna preempt this one with uh, and keep me on track here. Cause I have, I have a habit of like driving all over the place with my thoughts, but, but, um, we, first of all, uh, as North Americans, we kind of, we kind of rule a lot of the social media space. And so one of the big issues, um, I see with meat. so I'm going to give a kind of a couple counters yeah. us pushing meat, grass fed meat. You should be eating this, eating organic, these kind of things. Those are great things for people that live in very, very rich nations. Um, So when we're speaking to the world, which we are, and we're influencing the world, we need to actually also consider the fact that we're talking to people that live in Jamaica, for example, or people that live in maybe even Cuba. And um, when we start to use these extremes to look at them, really, um, a lot of times, if you can get your hands on meat, you're doing really, really well. So, so first off, like meat is uh, the way we get to choose in in North America like, oh well, I'm a vegan. oh, yeah, well, you want to know what I'm a carnivore. Uh, that is a very, very first world issue. starve anybody and they'll eat whatever's on their friggin plate okay so 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 right off the right off the bat when we start to talk about this stuff, this is kind of rich people stuff when we're deciding fighting. you know on 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 who gets to eat what and what's most important. um in terms of uh uh vegan versus carnivore. So I'm going to go full extremes on each side. Um, Really at the end of the day, uh, in terms of the impact on, you know, uh, global warming and all this kind of stuff, it's really, really moot because being able to truck all those vegetables around uh, in the wintertime up here to Canada gets really, really expensive. And I'm sure the people, there's counter arguments to all this, but um, really at the end of the day, when you're talking about eating when you're young in Newfoundland or when I was eating, you know, in the seventies in Ontario, Um, we ate seasonal vegetables, right? So we moved, we moved with the times because those were the foods that were available to us. And what's interesting is when you do that, it's actually, you know, if you want to go on the kind of nomadic train where you're like, yeah, well back when we were cavemen, that's how you did it. And, you know, that's how we evolved. But on the other side of the coin, uh, when we talk about health longevity, we do, uh, in my camp, we do require veg- vegetable matter in our diet because it's just part of mixing up those, that variety so that you can, you know, feed everything in your guts and, re- and get all the micronutrition you require to keep your cells all happy and everything like that. So really at the end of the day, when it comes to like arguments against and for different diets, different foods, they're tools, man. We're lucky that we actually have access to the the ingredients for those tools. So. Do I use ketogenic diets in my clients? Absolutely. There's a number of different types of clients that I use 70% fat diets, true uh, clinical ketogenic diets. Um, do I do I use Mediterranean diets? True Mediterranean diets, low protein, high in the nuts and the fibers. Absolutely. There are certain cohorts of people that are very. It's very very important for um, uh, kidney transplant people like myself. I have a kidney transplant. Following a Mediterranean-style diet is a much, much more uh, healthy uh, way to treat your kidneys than, say, just a pure high-protein, high-fat diet. And just strictly because of all the metabolites that your kidneys have to deal with. So really, at the end of the day, um, I don't take a camp. Um, I don't use any camp, to be honest. I try to push people eventually toward a diet that's mixed. And, uh, I'd love to see everybody be able to start out on a diet that's 33%, you know, uh, protein, 30% carb, 33% fat so that we can play around and move around with it. But some people just can't handle that level of carbohydrate because they've got, you know, insulin insensitivities uh, or glucose intolerances. Um, some people can't handle high fat diets because they just don't produce enough, say lipase, or maybe their stomach isn't acidic enough, or maybe they don't have enough, uh, you know, uh, um, bile salts on board to kind of, you know, be able to mobilize those fats. So at the end of the day, if you, if you take a non-biased view on a diet, you win as a coach, you completely win. Cause you're not stuck in this stupid pigeonhole that you have to emotionally support. You can be like, yeah, man, good, good on you. You're doing a keto diet. Is it working for you? Excellent. You feel good. Good. Blood works. Great. Wicked. That works for you. You know, awesome. You're using a high carbohydrate carb cycling diet with, you know, with some keto in there and, that, and it works for you super duper that works awesome but as you have all those tools at your disposal then you actually can start working magic with your clients because you're no longer putting everybody on this one religious you know diet that you've chosen because you have some sort of emotional attachment to this thing and it's like anything in life emotional attachment to anything is kind of the the death of uh common sense how's that
0: that's a way better answer than even what I asked. Right. So I don't know if you have any specific thoughts on the, the argument about that, that Rogan graphic per se, but what you just said is probably one of the most valuable things that everybody listening can take from any episode I've ever recorded. So that's perfect.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, to be honest, I don't really know the, uh the, the, the graphic that well, Okay. Can, can you kind of describe it a little bit?
0: So I guess I should probably pull it up. So guys, yeah,
1: pull it up so everybody can kind of
0: listening. Just bear with me a little bit. So I got to find this on social media and Instagram search function is not what it used to be. So let's see if it's still on here. Okay. So Rogan shared this new government funded quote food pyramid end quote says lucky charms are healthier than steak. Of course, Instagram's right. put its a little red missing context, independent fact fact checkers say, Information in this post could mislead people. And let's see. So, what else is there? And it shows this graphic of these foods compared watermelon, kale, frosted mini wheats are way at the top. And that's a red flag right there. Unsweetened almond milk, which I think also gets people twisted, non fat frozen yogurt, chocolate covered almonds, all green at the top. And then as it goes down, it gets in honey nut Cheerios, still green. And then sweet potato fries or chips that it goes millet, egg substitute fried in vegetable oil, skinless chicken breast, lucky charms, whole wheat bread, canned pineapple and heavy syrup, boiled or poached egg, whole milk, almond M&Ms, nonfat mozzarella cheese, ice cream, whole egg fried in butter, cheddar cheese, ground beef at the bottom. And it, it's presented in this manner as if these things are all compared to each other, which the critics of this post say that's not how it was intended and that foods are compared within their own categories. So I think the it's obvious that the graphic itself is a bit misleading because apparently where the graphic was taken from was actually something that was criticizing problems with this. And and people are saying this was a government-endorsed, pushed sort of thing when in fact, it was just this thing, I can't remember exactly, but I know the government somehow involved, but I don't think it was an official, hey, here's the food guide, right? The Canadian food guide, um, you know, but for Americans. And then the flip side, I saw some people, really smart people, kind of went in and they just went full on the other contrarian end, very technical and the research based. But I think the middle ground is the fact that, which is what the original thing that Rogan grabbed onto was saying, is there's sort of a flaw here where within this thing, they're basically saying certain foods are demonizing certain foods like beef and eggs. And then they're suggesting that something like frosted mini wheats are like, like off the charts, healthy. So I guess if you are not super familiar with it, it's probably hard to give a nuanced response to something I just read out to you. I think it requires a little bit more in depth, but for anybody listening, um, you know, hopefully this whole conversation just points people to not taking these ideological hard lines about these things and actually approaching it with, you know, from an evidence base, but also the nuance to look at, okay, there's obviously problems with this thing. There's definitely problems the way that Rogan and that camp spotted, and I'm not a Rogan critic. People get really twisted up about guys like Rogan and Musk or whatever. It's like, okay, I don't live my life through the lens of like being enraged constantly by what people like this are doing, right? It's like, all right. But this particular thing, okay, cool. I think there's some missing context. That's fair. I think it's being shared to get one ideological tribe kind of wound up and then another, the opposite side is going to fight about it. That's and exactly it, what
1: happened, Andrew. In fact, I remember the post and it's yeah. funny because I don't, I don't take, it's clickbait, right? Yeah. I don't I don't take sensationalism. Uh I don't even actually engage in it because it gets me, it, get, it raises my ego and gets me frustrated. Hmm. And so it's funny because I remember seeing that and thinking this has probably been taken right out of context. Um, but see the issue, the issue is with a lot of these food pyramids and everything else that gets designed is it's designed around what's available to ever the masses, right? And so when when they start producing these things as a government agency. They are purely produced based on what we have available to us in the, in in the country that we live in and how that can be distributed kind of on a, uh, distributed properly. How's that? That's how they look at it. The point is though, the actual overriding point of this, this uh, whole thing without me having deep context into this, this post is that there's a lot of people distilling what they want out of scientific research that gets used to their advantage and it's funny because a lot of the most sensational people uh that are you know on on the other side of things like rogan and them uh tend to uh pick on people who cherry pick if you will studies but then they utilize them and then and then manipulate them and so so for for me for me really um you know, there's a lot of people that are claiming to be experts in areas that actually have just kind of dabbled in that area and they just have a lot of influence. And I have a I have a big big issue with that being an academic myself, you know, lifelong academic. So is- so in that that's where that's where I kind of draw the line when when Rogan starts making his claims.
0: And obviously there's a lot of people out there who don't have these academic backgrounds, but you know what you also alluded to And I'll give an example, I don't want to be too critical. i talked about this a while back with Dr. Mike Isertel, who had a really good nuanced explanation for this, but you get people like Dr. Rhonda Patrick, who, you know, doctor credentialed, but seems to wander so far afield, widely outside of her area of expertise. And a lot of the time, it's certainly bought into mainstream influence and appeal, definitely going on with Huberman too, Huberman's definitely doing it. And they can, they're usually stronger in their area of direct expertise. And then sometimes when they step widely outside of it, people just need to be alert to the fact that they have no greater expertise in that area, even though they're a doctor of something, than, you know, almost anyone else, I suppose, in a way of saying it, it depends on just how much they've studied it, but it just does not mean automatically that they are of doctorate level expertise in all of these areas. Nobody has that kind of um, breadth of knowledge. So I I tend to be a natural skeptic with this stuff and I like the nuanced answer and I actually really like it. I hope the takeaway here for everybody is we just kind of have to look at this as not everybody has these ideal circumstances where they have all these choices. In a lot of cases, there are people, the environments that they're in, they simply don't have that much choice and they're just doing the best they can, which I think fitness professionals kind of get lost on this a lot where they'll fight these, these ideological battles, they'll fight these little tribal training and nutrition ideologies within our, our world. And at the end of the day, you've got this person just sitting there going, I just want to feel better. I just want help. I just don't want to feel tired anymore. I don't want to feel sick anymore. I'm confused. There's too much info out there. Can somebody please just fucking help me? I'm desperate, right? That's the person that matters. And that's actually what I hope coaches will start to remember when we start seeing these things. I, I try to stay out of internet arguments or I just won't even go near this stuff. I just, because I didn't even know too much. I just kept getting bits and bits of it. And I see the counter posts and I'm like, I understand the evidence in these counter posts, but I also think these are also ideal. Like they're run through an ideological filter as well. The opposite side of it. 100%. Let's go over to something else. I think will be really valuable. you've done a lot of leading work on chronic stress. It's impact on immunity. I'm reading off shit again uh, inflammation, mental health in diseases like cancer, obesity, and type two diabetes. And these are populations we're dealing with more and more. Um, and we see a lot of people talk about the stuff online. Is there anything really important that you want coaches to know about that would be helpful in dealing with clients who struggle with this these issues?
1: Yes. um so there's uh, there's a couple of things. So first of all, um as a coach, remember to know what your uh, your your boundaries are? Okay. So stay in your lane. If you have someone that comes to you that has a disease that you don't know how to deal with, then by all means, refer them to someone that does know how to deal with them and truly knows how to deal with them. That's the first thing because I end up, for some reason, I end up up getting all those people that that have uh, tried everything else. And now they're super duper, you know, they're in dire straits when they get to me. Um, and I see it and I look, I look at the diets they're on, I look at everything else they're on. It's obvious that, you know, some of these people didn't actually have a clue what this person was going through in in a physiological sense. So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is, and actually this is what I'm speaking with at the Real Coaches Summit about, I actually don't know the the topics yet, but this is the area I'm going to talk about, is let data drive your decision-making when you're dealing with special populations. And what I mean by that is um, both uh, their own anecdotes that can be data from them, but also blood work, you know, any sort of biometrics you have, blood pressure, all these things become really, really important and more, more important as we get into more clinical and subclinical populations. So the people that we're talking about, you know, with cancer or or maybe they had a transplant or maybe they're, maybe they've got kidney disease or heart disease and you're working with them because there's, there's uh, a lot of help you can give them. There's a lot of hindrance you can give them if you don't apply the right knowledge to it. So that would be my kind of my first, you know, uh, piece of advice in terms of, you know, how to kind of how to approach these these special populations. Also, um, uh, there's another issue I see in a lot of of coaches with their, uh, these special populations. So generally, people come to me when they haven't got the right answers from their physician. And so, and, 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 you know, there's a big, with everything that's gone on with COVID and all the weird polar, polar stuff that happened with all the, you know, in the U S with Pfizer versus the government versus the people versus all this stuff, um, people have, have lack of confidence in, in our medical system and and how things work. So, um, if you have a a good physician, that's even going to give you shit for, you know, certain, certain aspects of your lifestyle, um, they're still testing you let them test you, let them get your MRIs, let you get the blood work. You're getting all this stuff done, uh, you know, by someone who actually cares. So if you can kind of have a good relationship or, or promote a good relationship as a coach with, uh, with the physician, then you're going to get a lot more of that data that I talked about at the beginning of this little chat. So, so really at the end of the day, uh, making friends with the physicians is great. The reason why a lot of people come to me is because I've danced on both sides of the coin. You know, having been a tenured professor at Western uh, University of Medicine and, you know, being, you know, the, the undergraduate chair of medical biophysics, um, I've, I've, ha- I've trained a lot of physicians. Um, I'm also a microsurgeon, so I've trained a lot of physicians with their hands and I know a lot of people with golden hands. Um, when I left academia uh, a year ago to, to pursue things outside of the medical spectrum, um, that really, really gave me a leg up because then people are like, oh, this is wicked. This guy's actually lived the life of, you know, a pro athlete and had all the damages that, you know, those athletics do to him. And, 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 but he's also got this medical background that he's worked in, worked in medicine for this long with these people training them. So, um, you know, for me, I'm unique and I, and I promote a lot of things, but just the biggest thing is when I promote looking at blood work, make sure you're staying in your lane and know what you're looking at before you start giving your clients or yourself, you know, some sort of uh diagnosis or prescription for, whatever it is that you're trying to um, cure.
0: I remember years ago, earlier in my career, and I, I like precision nutrition. I still think they're one of the best resources in, in the whole game. And there was a lot of talk about, and, and precision led it. And I and I agreed with it at the time. And I still think there's value in being a concierge and being able not to be just the personal trainer, but being the resource for all of these other things, including being very Experienced and knowledgeable about nutrition, and then as my career has gone on, I mean, yeah, I talk nutrition a lot with my clients. I think every coach needs to be able to have those conversations, but when it gets into the deeper stuff, especially when it comes to anything that's you know special populations and disease, I realize that my passion doesn't lie in the nuances of the nutrition. My passion is the training and the lifestyle stuff. Nutrition's adjacent, sure, and if I've got someone with special needs or those type of diseases, I want to defer that, refer it to a registered dietitian or a qualified medical professional, someone who actually knows what the fuck they're doing. And I mean, there, you make three people from the medical field, doctors, medical field, who I actually direct people to now. um The others are Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, who i um, a. Um, I'm sorry, I don't, what is it? I'm, He's not an MD. He's an osteopath. Yeah, osteopath. A functional medicine guy, yeah. yeah, But brilliant. Evidence-based as they they come. And probably the most knowledgeable guy I've seen when it comes to obesity medicine and a really nuanced message. And then on top of that, there's my pal, Dr. Nick Nabwese. He goes by the fittest doc. He was one of the speakers at Kenny Santucci's event where me, Don, Luca, we were all talking. And Nick is this like jack crossfitter, but he's a medical doctor. And he's more about, okay, nutrition, lifestyle versus, and again, it's a false dichotomy that the the quote pushing the drugs and and all that sort of stuff. But I like Nick as a resource as well, because he's taken the time to educate himself. And now I want to direct people to you and and your resources, because I think trainers, a, we need to know about this stuff, but I actually think personally that maybe a lot of trainers need to take a step back from the edges of trying to do it all and then bring into play a a network of professionals who are skilled at these disciplines so that way and, and, and yeah there's arguments about scope I think there's some fine lines with scope and whatever like I don't prescribe nutrition to treat disease right that, that's a hard line when it comes to scope of practice one of the myths is that you know per, anyone who's not an RD cannot give a meal plan that's a myth that's actually not the truth there's this belief that's out there in the U.S. and um goob if anybody's familiar with goob go follow goob he's currently ripping apart one of the big uh u.s uh, powerlifting federations because they were covering all sorts of crap and he's really good at just ripping to shreds all these shitbag influencers who said sex offenders in our industry goob is great i got to meet him in vegas go follow. seriously go follow goob and but he also he, he took shots at two of my friends who both went on the podcast so i love to death because they both had said That it's illegal to provide meal plans and goob sort of like challenges because goob actually has a background going to law school getting a little far afield here but i'm not saying hey trainers go and do a whole bunch of meal plans i don't do them i don't care i don't want to do that shit. i hate doing it it's time consuming not interested however it's a technicality but that being said you know the real hill is you know i'm not messing with like telling people what they should be doing with their nutrition I have got clients who are diabetic and pre-diabetic and have some of these other sort of, you know, they're, they're special populations and I love listening to them. I like having these conversations, but it's always, all right, what is the, what is the physician or what is the RD directing you to do? Cool. Now let's be a supportive entity for the lifestyle side of things. So that way they're better, they're better at executing on it.
1: It's interesting. Um, This kind of leads into actually why I left uh, the whole medical academia area because because my scope of practice was such um so confined to education in academia that i felt i was doing a disservice to the people i actually wanted to reach and that was a general population so um you know i i was uh 30 yeah, 30 years in academia like i didn't leave i was 19 years old and i stayed there till i was you know 49 years old and um you know 16 years as a tenured professor. Um, And then I went through the trenches before that, like 13 years of, you know, uh, uh, post-grad education, you know, and then, and then, you know, climbing my way through the tenure track for seven years and all that shit. And what I found out at the end of the road was that uh, medical academia, academia in general is a big business, even though in Canada, it's subsidized by the government and they don't like you to educate the masses unless they're sitting in seats in the lecture halls and paying nine grand a year to be there. So I, uh, I was, uh, it's funny because I, I was, that's where I actually, um, shifted gears and, um, I do, you know, it's funny now because I don't have a scope of practice, but man, oh man, do I have a wide scope because of all the years I've done things. Right. And so it feels, it's, it's such a wonderful thing now to be able to actually share that with, uh, with the fitness community and with everybody, because I couldn't do it before. It was always behind the scenes. And that's why you'd never seen me before until the last year or so, because I could actually be out there now. And, and so really, you know, for, for, for me, for me, you know, this, this whole idea of scope of practice is what does your insurance tell you? So that would be, you know, that would be the, um, if you're, if, if you have insurance through, through, you know, uh, you know, your your governing body, then you have to act within that scope of practice. Otherwise you're not going to be insured if something happens, but if you don't actually have a scope of practice and you, you know, and, and you, you, so basically you're not bound by any of those, those insurance claims or anything then you can actually you can actually do what you feel you're educated enough in. And that's that's where the fine line becomes in, comes into like knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know. And if you don't know it, educate yourself enough on it so that you now can become someone who knows. Pick a mentor, find someone to work with, those kind of things. Because the last thing you want to do is help someone who just had a kidney transplant. And, you know, end up putting them into kidney failure because, you know, you got their potassium too high or you got their, you know, you got their proteins up too high and their urea, urea is up through the roof or any, any of that kind of stuff.
0: This came up yesterday. I've got a client, pre-diabetic, 55, great guy. Um, and one of the things that came back on his labs is his, pro- his potassium is too high. Now, so we're talking about like the foods where it's coming from, but that's one of those things where he's going to go back to the doc and the doc is managing this whole situation. So I'm not telling him, all right you got to do this this and this and this i just am enjoying learning about it and participating in the conversation i got to shout out one more doc who's also great in nutrition because i i should not have forgot about dr gabrielle lyon who's amazing as well so,
1: absolutely a yep. friend of mine too of,
0: yeah exactly. she's part of your guys network at dawn and so i i've actually been putting together uh my event for october in edmonton i haven't made any official announcement about the lineup yet but i will tease you guys with this this lineup is absolutely savage and Dr. Gabrielle Lyon and Don Saladino are two of my speakers. Okay, so secured that. You know, Don basically secured Gabby. I've met her in at Kenny Centucci's Strong New York. She's so amazing. And so they're two of the people I got in this thing. So if anybody listening wants more info on this thing, like this lineup is crazy. It's mostly Canadian speakers. I'm speaking as well, so there's one more. Shoot me a message on my social media. I will add you to the email, special email list for updates that I'll be sending out stuff as I confirm more. Right now, we're focused on the speaking things that are coming up. So honestly, you should probably let people know why they should join. Watch us either at Kabuki Education Week or join us in person at the Real Coaches Summit Vegas, March 6th and 7th.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. So I'm not going to Kabuki. I thought you were
0: speaking at Kabuki. My apologies. I'm thought-
1: not, I'm not speaking at Kabuki. I'm, I've got other stuff I have to do that during ah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll be at real coaches summit for sure. Um, yeah, yeah be, definitely go to Kabuki though and go to the real coaches summit, um, yeah. because they're both excellent opportunities, to, um, to kind of pick a mentor and get to know some people that, you know, that you might want to, uh, work with. And it's a great opportunity for us as speakers to be able to speak with people to build our network. Cause here's one for you. And and I know this because I'm probably the oldest of the group. Um, you don't get any younger, okay? And this is this is a funny thing within academia too, by the way. The old like you know the old oh fucking undergrads. Well, here's the thing: if you can't get into the mind of the undergrads, you're going to be irrelevant within four or five years, right? Within that 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 term that they're there. So really, at the end of the day for us as coaches and us as, you know, as we're advancing in age, it's really, really important also for us to respect the younger guys up and coming and taking them on, um, as mentees because you'll also be elevating, you know, our profiles as we get older and go along think, think like Charles Poliquin, right. Um, you know, and this is, a, and Charles Poliquin had actually cracked the code back in the day when, uh, like, so, so he, he was, you know, a little, a little about five or six years older than me. Um, But we he he cracked the code back in the day when we were told like old people suck. We were we were told like you know all the music we listened to were like don't talk to old people they're gonna destroy your life, and and so really cool is that you know he managed to crack the code with the younger folks. Like when I went to Ottawa uh, and studied in in kinesiology in the same department he did strictly because he was there, and that was a thing right. So so really it works both ways for mentors and mentees. So definitely go to these events hobnob with people's you know go to go to the social events talk to all the different different folks within your cohort as well as within the speakers because you never know what you're going to uh what's going to unfold for you after
0: that i'm excited about this one because it's in between two other things i'm speaking at raise the bar the weekend before and then i'm hanging out with Luca and don and kelsey heenan at lucas in seattle for a, a, a private event that they're doing well i mean anybody can register for it but there's a limit on it and but Aram wanted me to come down to this. I said, okay, cool. It'll be a great time. Cause I get, I get to meet Jade Tata in person who's been on my podcast before I get to meet Sam Miller in person. I get to see um, Stan Efferding's there. I get to see him again. Allie Gilbert's a good friend. I'll get to hang out with her again. There's a whole bunch more people I'll get to meet for the first time. And I can only be there for the Monday, the first day, cause I got to come back cause then I got to turn around trip again. And my cat Ozzy, well, he doesn't like it when I travel. So <laughs> a lot of stuff there. But either way, I'm really excited for for this event. I'll get to to hang out with you. And uh, if anybody is interested, just shoot me a message. So we obviously need to let people know where they can find you on your media.
1: Absolutely. So um, you can find me on Instagram at drdnjackson. And that's actually my handle for Twitter and Facebook and everything else. And uh, if you want to check out my website, it's uh, www.drdwaynejackson.com.
0: And I'm guessing there's, you know, those things have links to your stuff with Prescript. They have stuff with um, uh, Team HD and anything else that you're doing, right?
1: Absolutely. And uh, and if anybody's interested in gut health, uh, Prescript, I'm releasing a um, gut health course. It's going to be evergreen, so it'll be a little cheaper than my current nutrition course. Um, but it, and it'll be up. You can take it whenever you want. Uh, we recorded it last summer, um, so it was, a, it was it was quite quite a long thing, man. It was like. 15 or 20 hours in the studio uh, uh, recording time in the studio. So it was probably yeah, weeks and weeks and weeks great. of uh, cuts and whatever. So
0: pre script stuff is great. Jordan and the team are amazing. So, I mean, that alone is a big, you know, big gold star for you and anything that's coming out of there. So guys check, check their work out and everybody listening. Thank you again. Uh, we dropped a few names like Don Saladino, go back and listen to his recent episode, especially if you're someone who is finding my podcast for the first time through Dwayne. Scroll through. I've got a lot of really big hitters from the industry. I'm really proud of the lineup. So you might find a reason to stick around. And I'm channeling a little bit Alex Hormozzi here. I've been really binging Alex's stuff. And it's like, you know, I don't do ads. Uh, you know, this is all just about, this is something I enjoy because I get to hang out and talk with people like you and another friends of mine from the industry, but I get to share it with everyone else. So please share it with someone in your world. Okay. Share it with a, a coach that you feel like would get a lot of value out of my podcast. Um, share it on your social media. You can always tag me, shoot me a message. If you have questions, leave a review, all that stuff, find some little way to do something for free that supports this podcast. And that means the world to me. Uh, Dwayne, it's been great to have you on. I really appreciate having you. And uh, we're going to chat a little off air. Everybody, I will be recording with Luca Hosovar shortly, and you'll get that episode next week. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks, guys.